You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today, we've got a good amount of stuff to talk about. Since we cleared the board yesterday, we'll follow the normal order today of uh, getting the news and notesy kind of stuff out of the way first, and then getting to the juicy stuff after. So there is a little bit of potential free agency news. We'll get to injury news for the Packers and 49ers. A couple more meetings for the Green Bay Packers at the Shrine Bowl. We'll talk about those couple of characters. Had some questions in the Facebook group that I was able to answer. And then finally, and again, this is a lot, so I don't know if we're going to get to all of it, but uh, the 49ers fans have been getting a little chippy and um, also had a Bears fan kind of pop off a little bit. And that kind of went a little crazy. So, you know, it's it's just, do you know why a big part of the reason I'm able to have a podcast? Because people don't do the simple stuff like Googling. It makes my job so easy because I just walk around and there's this massive fist fight. And I walk up and I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on here, fellas? And they're like, well, he said this and I think this. And he's like, you know, I, he said this and I think this. Well, has anybody looked it up? I mean, look kind of through their information. Like, well, I wonder if there's some information. Let me Google it. Oh, look, here's information that neither person seems to be bringing up in this argument. Look through the comments. Nobody's mentioning this. Nobody's mentioning this. Nobody looked it up. Nobody. 74 comments plus the original fight. Not one person has Googled it. I'm so happy. Thank you so much. It just, it just, it makes, it, I'm serious. It makes me so happy. It's what we call in the industry job security. Because as long as people start screaming about their feels, I'm going to be able to do this in perpetuity. (laughs) There ain't no end in sight. So by all means, please, whatever you do, don't Google anything. Let me be the ultimate arbiter of all things. Essentially, let me be Google. If you ever have a thought, don't think, let me just look it up. Just think, what would Pac Daddy say? And then ask me, I'll Google it, and then I'll get the answer, and then I'll sound like a genius. I figured I'd, I'd take that route rather than just being condescending. I don't know. What, what did you think? That was pretty good, right? I mean, it was a little condescending, but it wasn't. It was like indirectly condescending. Just baffling, though. I don't know. I, I had a tweet yesterday that, you know, I, I don't usually get a lot of traction on Twitter, but, it, you know, like several hundred retweets. I mean, it got to the point I literally de- deleted the tweet because I felt bad for the guy. It was a Bears guy who said something dumb, and I, like, smacked him with, you know, Google. And then it was like several hundred likes and retweets. And I'm like, all right, listen, now it's just, now I just feel bad. <laughs> Let's stop. Because that's, that's the guy I am. I'm all about Twitter until something starts to go viral. And then I'm like, nope, delete, not doing this viral stuff. It's the opposite of what you're supposed to do, but I don't care. And I, I understand he's a Bears fan and he deserved it. But at some point it's like, all right, he gets it. He's been kicked enough, delete. So anyways... Another great resource, by the way, for information is the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, so make sure you get in there. People are not afraid to give you their opinions, sometimes rudely so, so if you're into that, not most of the time, but, you know, occasionally, they'll grow on you. Just get in there and ask a question. Also, Packernet Podcast Facebook page, uh, shoot a like over there. Something else that's cool, and I don't know how long it's going to continue, but I found a very, very cool way 
to get uh, tr- this these podcasts transcribed. And that has me so unbelievably excited, I can't even tell you. So as long as I'm able to do it, I'm going to do everything I can to tra- transcribe all 668 podcasts, I think. I deliberately didn't tell anyone that episode 666 was a few days ago. I didn't want anybody not listening because they're superstitious. But I'm going to get them all transcribed. Why? I want the ability to look up stuff I've said in the past, go find those clips, and be like, here's what I said four and a half months ago. Super excited about that. And if you want an example of that, I just posted an article on Packernet.com. Uh, you can find it. It just says Packernet Podcast. It was from two days ago. And there's the you can listen to it, and then there's the whole transcription right there. So you'll actually be able to kind of do that, not quite as easily. But if there's something that I said, if I do this and put it all on Packernet, you can say, I remember he said this this one time. You can search it on Packernet, and maybe it'll come up, and then you'll find the episode. I don't know. I just, I'm excited about it. And I can tell I'm extra rambly today, and I apologize. Keep it concise. Here we go. What else? Um, Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. A special thank you to Quentin for jumping on board with that. Remember, I am doing a giveaway at the end of the month, so if you jump in, or, or give in any way uh, $1 is one entry. You'll be able to go into the Packernet Podcast store and take whatever you want. One thing only, but whatever you want. Otherwise, iTunes, five-star iTunes review or Stitcher review or whatever kind of review would be very greatly appreciated. And again, if you're listening to this podcast, look at your phone or whatever device you have. If it does not say Packernet Podcast, please go find the Packernet Podcast and subscribe to it. That would help me very much. And lastly... Regardless of what happens Sunday, regardless of what happens in the Super Bowl, if we win on Sunday, I would just like to encourage you to please stick around because the podcast doesn't end and the NFL season does not end. By the way, right after the Super Bowl, and I promise we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we'll spend a little bit of time talking about it. Dude, we got the XFL starting up. It's been super quiet, which is probably not good for the XFL because they should be kind of hyping this up. You got like three weeks, dude. How does Mr. Hype Man, Jim McMahon, not know how to hype up the XFL? I don't know. I haven't seen it. But, uh, yeah, the draft, free agency, all kinds of goodies. Anyways, that's it. Let's take a break and uh, get a lot of stuff to get through. Folks, I want to tell you once again about Omax Health. If you want to get rid of nagging muscle and joint pain immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, you got to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, cryo-free CBD roll-on, developed by Omax Health. This is a non-prescription, triple-action, pain relief roll-on. It's specially formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, improve muscle and joint flexibility. And the best part of all is that it's a 100% natural CBD-powered remedy that works its magic within 10 minutes of application, and the relief lasts up to 8 hours, which is much longer than over-the-counter product. If you're still not sold, I can tell you pro athletes such as PGA Pro golfer Kyle Stanley uses cryo-free CBD to recover both on and off the course. And just go check out the product reviews. They've got 95% five-star reviews. Page after page, customers saying that they've tried everything, and Omax CryoFreeze is so good, they're now buying it for their family and friends, too. And Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze CBD pain relief roll-on, plus free shipping. The discount also applies toward any product on the entire site. So just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter promo code OVERTIME. That's O-M-A-X-Health.com and enter code OVERTIME to get 20% off cryo-freeze and anything site-wide. And as I've been telling you, although this winter hasn't been that bad, if you're living up by me, it just got kind of bad. Every day at lunch I take walks. Yesterday hurt. 
it's starting to get to that point where the air just hurts. Also hurts when you slip and fall trying to get into your car. It's bad enough the air is hurting you. Now you got the ground and your car when your legs smash into them hurting you. It's just everything just hurts in winter. But you know what I did as I was laying there on my back under my car? I was daydreaming about baseball. 75 degree weather. Birds chirping. Children laughing. Buzzers buzzing. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a low blow. But really, it's just it's it's the ultimate just relax kind of vacation. As much as I love the whole Disney thing and and the go 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 theme park stuff, just get out somewhere where it's peaceful and you can relax. Just beautiful outdoor scenery, baseball, music, great food, fresh air, and air that doesn't hurt your face. If any of that sounds appealing to you, I would encourage you to at least check out visitarizona.com/springtraining and see if it appeals to you. All right, so we'll start from least important to most important. Number one, um, it is basically, and it, it kind of was a foregone conclusion already, but apparently, you know, the, the, the other cool thing about stuff like the Shrine game isn't just the appeal to the draft. It's the collection of media members and scouts and everything else, and you get certain people next to certain people, and rumors start to swirl, and you get some cool, fun information. Apparently, both sides both Le'Veon Bell and the Jets have come to the conclusion that it would be better off if Le'Veon Bell left. So it's basically done. And again, we kind of had a feeling that, at the very least, the Jets head coach didn't want him. And um, apparently the Jets organization has backed their coach, and Le'Veon Bell has kind of come to the conclusion, as has his agent, that um, they don't want to be there anymore. So that's something to watch out for. Now, I, you know, I don't think this is going to impact the Packers directly in terms of him coming to Green Bay. That would be silly. He's got a massive contract. The question is, where is he going, and is it going to negatively affect us? Because the fact of the matter is, Le'Veon Bell going to the Jets is a good thing, because the Jets are far away, and we never really see them. Now, the great thing about Le'Veon Bell is he has a massive contract, so the, the general thinking is, if you've got a team with a very expensive quarterback and or a very expensive pass rusher, you're probably not going to want to pay a ton of money for a running back. So if we just think NFC North, we can rule out the Packers for the most part, because that's silly. And we do have a very expensive quarterback and a fairly expensive pass rusher, but, I mean, you know, not that expensive. You figure Khalil, Mark, Khalil Mack, what, two years ago set the market at like $25 million? Sedarius got 17 But still, when you, when you couple the two, it's expensive. Um, the Minnesota Vikings... Unless they decide, I mean, they just don't have much money. And, the, and and from what I'm hearing, and we're going to get into it, they're kind of to the point now where they're starting to look at cap casualties and bringing on guys like Le'Veon Bell probably wouldn't be that beneficial because they pay a ton of money to Kirk Cousins. And there's not a lot of wiggle room unless they extend him, which could happen. If they extend him, essentially they could chop up this fully guaranteed thing, offer him a something that's a little more flexible, which I'm assuming they could, Right, Kirk Cousins just wants a contract of some kind, and the Vikings are kind of on the fence anyway. I, I don't know. I, I just I don't think that's going to... And, and they don't need him, right? The Lions potentially could, but they've got a guy that they like. They have a fairly expensive quarterback, although who knows what the future holds there. The only team that maybe semi would make sense is the Bears, but the Bears' contract situation isn't very good either, and they have Khalil Mack. So could he end up on a team that we end up playing that could hurt us possibly... I don't think he comes to the NFC North, and that's kind of the only thing I care about. I'd like him to stay with the Jets because, again, they're just a, a nothing team, and Le'Veon Bell's career is just going to die there. 
which, you know, I don't wish anything bad on Le'Veon Bell, but, you know, Packers come first. I'm sorry. He's making money. That's ultimately the goal, right? So he'll be fine. He's out in New York. He's got a bunch of money. Life is good. He's not bothering us. But um, he's probably going to be on the move. We'll see where he ends up. And no, he's not coming to Green Bay. The other thing, by the way, to keep in mind is this is a pretty loaded running back draft class. So the Jets have a really tough sell. Here's this running back who decided that he's not going to stay with the Steelers, which whether or not that was his fault, it doesn't matter. Point is, that's going to appeal to not many people. Then he came here and didn't produce, which could be our fault, but it's still another mark against him. And he has a massive contract, and he's getting older for a position where you have a very limited shelf life, and there's a lot of options, and running backs typically are cheap. I just, I don't know how you sell Le'Veon Bell. I just don't. It's got to be a really bad team with a no running back situation and a ton of money. And I will explore that a little further, but at this point, it's not that important. Something that is a little bit more important, it was reported yesterday, and, and, and understand this is one of those things where a columnist, and we see this all the time in Green Bay where a writer for the Packers will say, I'm speculating that this will happen, and then it gets blown up all over the internet saying this is going to happen, right? An insider. It's not an insider. It's just a reporter who's going, I don't know, here's three things that might happen in the offseason. But anyway, there is a growing belief that the Vikings after this year will let Riley Reef walk. I'll be honest, that would surprise me a little bit. Now, here's sort of the, the problem, and it's a problem that a lot of teams have faced in a lot of positions. I think I talked about it yesterday at quarterback, although I think it was privately at work, so you didn't hear me say it. The problem that a lot of teams have is when you get to that point where you're not worth the money, but we can't afford to not have you. And the Vikings have built a nice little reputation of retaining their guys and being willing to overpay for guys just because we want to keep our guys. And the fact of the matter is, you know, if you look at PFF grades, Riley Reef might not be the best left tackle, but Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill on the offensive line, the left and right tackle, are the only guys that graded basically in the 70s, which would be good. And I understand grades, especially offensive line, people don't care, but I'm just letting you know. The PFF scouting department, if you will, has, has determined that, first of all, the offensive line has somewhat improved, but the only really good offensive linemen are the left and right tackle. If you lose your left tackle, you kind of start back at ground zero, meaning you have to draft a tackle, like have to, or possibly find somebody in free agency. But to find somebody better than Riley Reef for less than the $10 million you have to pay him is basically impossible. So I, I'm just going to go out on a limb, although you know I would assume this is from the St. Paul Pioneer Press. I'm assuming that they are following this closer, probably have maybe, possibly some inside information. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not true. Now, the way that they phrase this, they, this is from Roto World, said, unsurprisingly, Reef remained one of the league's worst left tackles in 2019. Uh, I mean, again, he's not great, but league's worst? I mean, I guess if there's only 32, we could be a little loosey-goosey with that phrase. PFF graded him as the 30th best tackle in football which you figure there's 64 if you include left and right, plus there's been some guys coming in and out. He's given up five sacks this year, which isn't that bad. Brian Balaga's given up four. Bakhtiari's given up two, but, I mean, that's Bakhtiari. I mean, total pressures, if you 25 total pressures is really, really low. That's really low. Brian Balaga's given up 26. David Bakhtiari's given up 35 pressures. So the sack percentage might be a little bit high. As far as total pressures, he does not allow a lot of people to get to Cousins. He does have eight penalties, which is fairly high, but Bakhtiari's got 11. I mean, statistically, he's not that bad. He's not a very good run blocker, but nobody is. 
I shouldn't say nobody, but it's, I mean, it's a rare quality of amongst offensive linemen in 2020, 2019. He's just, he's not that bad. And and look, the fact of the matter is $10 million, as much as you might not want to play it for, pay it for a guy that's, you know, 30th overall, getting a really good tackle is hard. And the Vikings above more than anyone, maybe except for Seattle, should realize how hard it is to acquire a good offensive line. If I'm the Vikings, I'm paying Riley Reef the $10 million to keep him, and I'm going to work on the interior a little bit. But I hope they're right, because if they lose their left tackle, their offensive line is going backwards. Even if they nail a first-round pick and get a really good one, then basically they had to use up a first-round pick just to upgrade their left tackle a little bit. And what is he going to give up? Three sacks instead of five? I doubt it. A rookie left tackle? I doubt it. So, you know, by all means, go ahead and get rid of him. Vikings fans really don't like their uh, their offensive line. I've noted. I mean, there's a lot of content. Like they will, they they think they've got the best running back, a, v, a VIP quarterback. They are all about it. But man, you get them started on that offensive line, and they are real low. Maybe not so much Garrett Bradbury because everyone's excited about their rookies, but especially Riley Reef for some. They just despise the guy. It's really weird. But again, that's fine. Go ahead and cut them. Looking at the injury report, it looks like both teams are pretty much up to full strength as of Wednesday. You had Jimmy Graham and Ryan Grant not practicing for uh, personal reasons. You know, veteran rest for Jimmy. You had uh, something personal for Ryan Grant. Otherwise, Geronimo was was sick. As of yesterday, though, everybody was full or limited. Uh, Preston is limited with an ankle injury, which could be a problem. I mean, he's going to play, but it's something to monitor. Mercedes Lewis is just getting that veteran rest. Uh, Alan Lazard is limited with an ankle also, but again, he's going to play. Jimmy just limited veteran rest. Kenny's still resting that back a little bit, but we already know he's going to play. He played last time. He's going to play again. Um, and then for San Francisco, they did have D. Ford and George Kittle not practicing. D. Ford is limited. He's got quadricep hamstring issues, so they're they're just keeping him. He's practicing, but he's limited. Otherwise, Quan Alexander, George Kittle's back to full participation. Quan Alexander's limited with a pec issue, but I'm sure he's going to be fine. So basically, it looks like both teams, pending any illnesses or injuries, which, by the way, way, it says Geronimo has an illness. Just get him out. I'm serious. Send him to California now. Just get him out away from everybody. I don't want him getting people. I mean, we, we, I'm, I'm dead serious about it. I mean, not sending him to California, but we played without a right tackle last week because he got a, he caught a sickness that was going around. Quarantine Geronimo Allison. Get him away from everybody. I don't need Aaron Rodgers getting this horrible 24-hour flu on Sunday. I'm not even kind of kidding. If, if Geronimo's sick lock him away somewhere until he's feeling better, and then go pressure wash, steam clean, shampoo the carpet, just suck every germ out of the air that you can. This is a multi, multi, multi-million dollar operation. Keep the guys healthy, please, and thank you. But otherwise, yeah, it, it doesn't look like there's going to be any real big changes going on here. Just, I guess, full strength against full strength which is probably the way it should be, which is probably part of the reason Matt on Twitter uh, asked me a question about why the line hasn't moved. It was at 75, or 7.5, 75, my goodness. Why hasn't it moved? It, it, it might have a lot to do with this. Just nothing's changing. You know, they, they've got a lot of information. They plugged it into their Vegas supercomputers, came up with 7.5, and, and really they're just kind of waiting on any kind of changes, shifts, anomalies, illness, injury, and everybody just seems fine. So, you know, if there's nothing that's changed, there's no super big reason the line should move. By the way, Matt, I don't know how I missed your last four messages. I have never, I'm just looking at it now. It's like, what, how did I miss that? I don't even know what you're referring to. Sounds bad, though. But yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of all I've got. 
Matt goes on to say he's insulted by the line, and, and I, I wasn't planning on talking about it now, but since we're talking about it, let's let's bring it up now. So yeah, injuries, nobody's injured. Todd in the Facebook group asked, I'm wondering if there's ever been a 14-3 team starting as a touchdown underdog in NFL playoff history. Well, found an answer to that. So let me start by saying there was the, the last time there was this big of an underdog in the NFC Championship, it was Green Bay, Seattle. Seattle, and this was the 2014-2015 season, was eight and a half point favorites over Green Bay. Seattle won that game 28-22 in overtime. I'm sure I don't have to remind you how that game went, but that was the last time we've seen this big of an underdog, and it was the Green Bay Packers. Interestingly enough, the time before that there was this big of an underdog, it was Packers-Giants, except it was the Giants. So the last three times in the NFC Championship game that there has been an underdog of seven and a half points or more, it has involved the Green Bay Packers. Twice against the Packers, once in the Packers' favor. Now, to answer your question, neither of these teams were 14-win teams going into the game. The Giants being underdogs were, let's see, well, they were a 13-win team. There's been several 13 wins. So they they were 10-6, and six, but they beat the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. So I guess they were 12 wins and ended up being, they didn't get to 14 wins until they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Let's put it that way. But they were a 12-win uh, team and 8-point dogs. The Packers, when they were 8-point underdogs against Seattle, were 13 wins. So they weren't quite 14, but we're kind of talking about the same thing. So basically, the last time this has happened, the Packers were 13-4, 8-point underdogs against the Seattle Seahawks. The time before that, you want to hear something super egregious? There was a 12-win Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. They were 14.5-point underdogs to the St. Louis Rams. Every single one of these favorites won, with the exception of the Green Bay Packers being eight-point favorites against the Giants. The Giants won that game, on and on and on. Looking over at the AFC, one of the more uh, massive lines against, um, San Diego was a 13-win team back in 2007. The New England Patriots were 14-point favorites. New England did go on to win. Not by 14, but they won. But the only team I can find that had at least 14 wins, and I'm only going back to 2000, and you said by a touchdown, because even though the line's 7.5, I'm going by your standard, which is 7 points, that had at least 14 wins and was a 7-point underdog, was the 1999 Tennessee Titans. They ended the season 13-3, and then they went on to beat the Bills and the Colts, and were 15-3 and going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville was 7-point favorites in that game. By the way, they lost that game 33-14. to One other kind of close one. The 12 and 5 um, New England Patriots were 10 point underdogs to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not only did they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 24 17, they won the Super Bowl that year. So there you go. That's what I found. It is fairly rare. It's one of the few times that it's really ever happened for a 14 or greater um, team. Again, the only one I could find since 2000, and we're talking about the 99 to 2000 season, was Tennessee at Jacksonville. And again, Tennessee went on to not only beat Jacksonville, but absolutely destroy them. So there you go. I also forgot to add after the injury thing. Uh, apparently, according to Matt LaFleur, Raven Green is looking a lot better this week. The Packers are going to give it a couple more days to see how he's doing. But they do have an open spot on the roster. They've got 52 guys currently. So they're they're leaving a spot open in hopes that he can uh, come back and play. I'm always a little skeptical when somebody's been away this long, especially when we're talking about an offense and a defense that's been really clicking, and, and the biggest uh, part of their success 
comes from things like communication and just really understanding the scheme and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm sure Raven Green has been in the meeting rooms and all that, but it, it, that comes with time. But, you know, they really like Raven Green. I think I've said before, Mike Pettin, I think, is beyond enamored with Raven Green. He seems to really, really like the guy. So I think if he's he's ready to go, they'll put him in, at least situationally. But uh, it's going to be a wait-and-see thing, and it'll be a couple more days. Probably not today. Maybe tomorrow we'll get more official word on whether or not he's going to be activated. Um, and then I think we'll do one more thing. We'll look at these Shrine meetings. Packers have met with two other prospects. They met with another quarterback, this time Princeton quarterback Kevin Davidson, six foot four, two twenty-five. So again, another guy that's just really, really big. Uh, threw for twenty touchdowns, set a school record with seven scoring passes against Bucknell. Probably one of the best small school guys, which kind of makes sense, right? Again, the the primary reason that you meet with these guys is to get more information. When you're a small school guy, maybe one of the things you're doing is you're trying to under- gauge him mentally, right? Because it's a massive lump leap from the mental processing of the college game to the pros, especially when you're a smaller school quarterback. It's an even bigger leap. So they met with, uh, it's the second time they've met with a quarterback now. So perhaps what they are doing is looking at something they've done a lot, which is late round to undrafted free agent quarterback, trying to find that diamond in the rough quarterback, the Taysom Hill, if you will, um, something that they do a lot, but you, you want to hit on it. And he's really doing his homework that's not to say they're not going to do a quarterback in the first couple days of the draft, but more than likely, again, they're doing their homework on sort of the later round to undrafted type quarterback, probably looking to refresh our backup roster. Otherwise, they met with Washington State Cougars wide receiver Desmond Patton, six foot four, two hundred and twenty-eight. So seems to fit the mold of what the Packers like at wide receiver, big tight end looking dudes. Um, he was at Washington State with Mike Leach, so they had an air raid offense, 48 receptions, 689 yards, seven touchdowns this past season through 11 games, but, you know, for his size, he was running around a 4.58, which isn't blazing speed, but again, when you're built like a, you know, kind of in between the wide receiver tight end frame, and you're that big, 4.58 isn't that bad. Remember, Devontae's like a 4.55 guy, which after all these years, he's probably around 4.58 now. Another guy that's expected to be an undrafted free agent, so Again, just due due diligence, right? You got to do this kind of stuff. This is something that Ted Thompson, by the way, was the master of. Really struggled in the early round, especially the first round, I should say. But you get into those later rounds and undrafted free agents, and Ted Thompson did a really good job, and it just seems like they're doing a lot of their due diligence here. But anyways, why don't we take our final break, and then we'll get into some of the more, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but argumentative type things. Guys, if you're looking for comfortable clothes, that are high-end, but also want a very easy shopping experience, MacWeldon.com is probably the place to go. Extremely comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, coats, scarves, hats, and gloves, and everything else that you can think of that you're probably ever going to wear. The quality of the fabric, including the technology, such as using the silver infusion to eliminate odor, just takes the clothing to the next level. Not only does the underwear, socks, shirts, and whatnot look good, but they perform well too. And remember, because you're listening to this podcast, Mac Weldon is still going to offer you the 20% off discount for your first order. You want to take advantage of this because it's not going to last very much longer. So visit MacWeldon.com, enter promo code OVERTIME. Again, that's 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code OVERTIME when you visit MacWeldon.com. Doesn't cost you anything to go visit the website. And remember, because they want you to be comfortable, if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you get to keep it. They'll still refund you, no questions asked. 
MacWeldon.com. Use promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I had another question from Mr. Ludlow on Twitter, and um, I don't really have a, a ton of insights or thoughts behind the information, but since I did the work, I figured I'd relay the information to you as well. The question was essentially, how often have the Packers led for the entire game this year? And so I went and looked at it. Here's what I came up with. And, and the bottom line is the Packers have had the lead a lot. And for a lot of games, they took the lead and never lost it. So here is the season and what took place during that season. Versus the Bears, the Packers trailed 3 to nothing in the first quarter. After that, they took the lead and never lost it. Against the Vikings, the Packers had the lead the entire game. Against the Broncos, the Packers had the lead the entire game. Against the Eagles, the Packers went up 13-7 lost the lead at the end of the second quarter, got back to a tie 27-27, to and then lost the lead and lost the game. Against Dallas, the Packers had the lead the entire game. Against the Lions, hilariously, uh, and this happened in both games, the Packers didn't have a lead until there were two seconds left in the game. In the other game, it was uh, three seconds. So in both games combined, the Packers had the lead for five seconds. Against the Raiders, Oakland led for eight minutes in the second quarter, but never regained it. So that's it. They had eight minutes of a lead, and aside from that, it was the Packers all the way. Against the Chiefs, the Chiefs did lead 17-14 to in the second quarter, but lost that lead at the end of the third and never regained it. Against the Chargers, the Packers were never even close to having a lead. That was just a ridiculous blowout. Um, against the Panthers, the Panthers led until the nine-minute mark uh, in the second quarter. Packers went up 14-10, and the Panthers never regained the lead. 49ers game again, they never were close to getting the lead. Then the Giants, the Packers led the whole game. The Redskins, the Packers led the whole game. The Bears, the Packers led the whole game. Against the Vikings, the Packers took the lead with two minutes left in the third and just began to pull away from there. And then again, the Lions, you had the three seconds. Uh, Against the Seahawks, Packers led the entire game. Some of these games, and the, the, the kind of interesting thing is, not only is that kind of cool, that the Packers tend to strike first and don't lose the lead, which obviously speaks strongly of the defense, but... It's, it's cool because it doesn't feel like it. You know, just saying the Packers led the whole game against Seattle, it didn't feel like it, but they did. The, the bottom line is they get into the position of power, of control, and they maintain control. And although it feels out of control and it feels like the Packers are about to lose and it feels really close, right, the Redskins game, oh, that was terrible. Dude, they, they were in the lead the whole game. So I, I think maybe a lot of this is that things feel more out of control than they are. And, and it's relatively true that, you know, if, if the Packers begin to get a lead, the defense kind of gives up. Maybe that's a change in Pettin's play calling to kind of be more conservative, which leads to more points. But the point is, although it doesn't feel like it, I think a lot of times the Packers are in control for most of or the entire game. And although it doesn't feel like it, they are. They're, they take control, they maintain control, they win the game. So that was an interesting little side project. If you have any thoughts like that, you can pass it along. I can't promise I'm going to do it, but if it sounds interestingly enough or interesting enough, I will try it out. And uh, if you are a patron, by the way, and you want me to do a project, again, I can't promise it, but it'll probably put your list to the it'll put you to the top of the list. So preface it and just let me know because I don't know your Patreon by your Twitter handle or whatever else. So just just say it. Just be like, yeah. I, by the way, I'm I'm a patron and I want you to do this. Try it out. We'll see. All right, so let's look at one of the things, and this is, it's just tiring, right? The, the Packers are, you know, 
always getting helped by the ref. And there's this chart out there that shows something from 2010 to 2019, teams that have been um, most helped on third down by the ref. You know, it's, it's, it's really, really specific. Which, when you're super specific, there's a lot of variables. Or when, when you're really broad, there's a lot of variables. But then when you're oddly specific in a certain way, there's, there's just too many variables in it. And it's not an honest way to actually ask a question. And so, very simply, I just took the premise that the Packers are helped by the refs more than any other team. And then somebody went on even further to say that, well, this is because the NFL needs to prop up the Packers because the market can't sustain itself unless they're winning. So I just took that premise and said, okay, let's look at this and see if there are any signs of conspiracy. Penalties against the least penalized teams in order. Would you like to know what they were? The Colts, the Panthers, the Giants, the Dolphins, the Bengals, the Patriots, the Vikings, the Chargers, the Bears, and the Green Bay Packers. Those are the top 10 least penalized team. I think I said Packers are ninth least. It turns out, oh no, that's, never mind. That's something else. We'll get there. The Packers are penalized the 10th least. And the hilarious thing is that the Bears are penalized less and the Vikings are penalized less. The two franchises that are always screaming about how the Packers or the refs love the Packers are actually penalized less. But you could say, well, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. It's not that you don't get penalized. I mean, that's just, a, that's just discipline if you're not penalized. You get the most calls in your favor. Okay, well, luckily for you, I have those numbers as well. The biggest beneficiary of play calls, let's just do it in order, the top 10, ready? The most penalties called in their favor. The Titans, the Falcons, the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Broncos, the Texans, the Lions, and the 49ers. Now, if we're going with the conspiracy theory thing, what is the trend here? Is it that they love, you know, high-flying teams like the Chiefs, the Packers, the the Patriots? No. Because how do you explain Tennessee, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Denver, Houston? Nobody cares about these teams. Detroit. By the way, the Packers aren't in the top 10. You want to know which teams? Here's the top 10 teams getting the least amount of calls in their favor. The Raiders, the Vikings, the Redskins, the Saints, the Bills, the Cowboys, the Ravens, the Jaguars, the Packers, and the Rams. The ninth least penalties in their favor in the NFL. What conspiracy theory are you talking about? Now, I will say, relative to the amount of penalties, they get a lot of yards. But that only has to do with the types of penalties that we're talking about. In terms of penalty yards in their favor, which we're talking about a really grand scheme here. If we're saying, I want you to not call a lot of penalties for the Packers so that it doesn't look shady, but make sure you call a lot of like big play penalties. So we're talking about what? Pass interference and like personal foul stuff, 15-yard penalties, whatever. But here, let's, let's also be specific. In terms of the beneficiary of yards from penalties, top 10, here's the list. Ready? It's not Packers number one. It's the Steelers, then the Titans, then the Dolphins, then the Falcons, then the Eagles, then the Broncos, then the Cardinals, then the Colts, then the Packers, then the Bengals. There's no correlation here. There's nothing that points to any kind of grand scheme or, I mean, to, to even, first of all, conspiracy theories are dumb just from the standpoint of how many people have to be involved without saying anything. The fact that we believe that this has been rigged and you got players and coaches and refs and people that have come and gone 
and now one person has decided to write a book that would make them a multi-multi-millionaire, saying, by the way, I have inside information we used to rig games. Not one person has come out and said that? Give me a break. I mean, how much money do you think these refs make? I mean, it's a good amount of money, but if you're making two hundred grand a year and you can sell a book that makes you about $20 million, I'm thinking you might pull the trigger. Bottom line is, it, it, it just isn't there. And by the way, when we're talking about a lot of yards, we're talking about nine-ish yards per penalty. So on average, when the Packers have a penalty in their favor, it's almost 10 yards, on average. Which, when you have a quarterback that likes to throw the ball deep, you're going to get a lot more penalties that are pass interference penalties that are further down the field, which really wrecks this average. It has nothing to do with a conspiracy. It has to do with the fact that more of their penalties are big yardage penalties, probably coming by way of pass interference. So the, the, the information is right here. It's readily available. And it's, listen, it, it varies. I looked at, this is called NFLPenalties.com. They've got a really comprehensive list of stuff. PFF has slightly different numbers. Uh, there was another site I looked at, I don't remember, slightly different numbers. But I mean, we're talking about a variation of penalties called against the Packers between 100 and 103. Probably some kind of a discrepancy between, you know, whether it was accepted or what. I don't know exactly how you mess up counting these, but whatever. It's it's a very small variation, and in no way is there ever going to be a site that you can find that says the Packers are the least penalized team and have the most penalties going in their favor. And again, that then the argument devolves into um, anecdotal evidence. Well, there was that one play. Dude, let me tell you right now, for all the Bears and Vikings and Lions fans that want to complain about the Packers, if the only bad call that went against your team was against the Packers, I think the refs are biased in your favor. If that's the only thing that's happened to you, and by the way, if it's not the only bad call, then you're a liar. You're lying because you know bad calls go for and against you all year long because the referees don't do a super great job all the time. And pretty much every single game you watch, there's a controversial call. Every single one, including last week, the Seattle Seahawks fumbled the ball. The Packers clearly recovered. They gave the ball back to Seattle because they said we couldn't quite clearly see it, even though you can clearly see the guy recover it. And then it's blurry. And then at the end of it, the guy who recovered it handed the ball to the ref, meaning he still had it. But we don't have any clear evidence. That could have easily lost the Packers the game. Does anybody care? No, because we're going to point to that one time when against the Lions... You had one of their pass rushers constantly pushing up into David Bakhtiari's neck, but it didn't technically touch his face mask, even though you could see he's pushing up into his head, and his head is jerked backwards. And David Bakhtiari, by the way, was talking to the ref saying, dude, watch this guy. He keeps pushing my head back. And so the ref saw him do it. And another anecdotal thing, there was a a fumble by a, a Packer, I think, on on a kickoff, he fumbled the ball and the Bears recovered and they're like, oh, that was a clear recovery, but they said it was a hit to the head or something. I don't know. But the point is, you watch that live action and tell me that that doesn't look like a hit to the head. Of course it does. And that's the thing. These are never even egregious calls against the Packers. These are all calls that in in really quick time, if you're just watching it and you don't slow down and at home watch it 75,000 times and use like, you know, technology and everything else to try to see specifically where it was and how technically kind of, sort of, it's a good call. I don't know of any super egregious calls against the Packers. I'm sure there have been some, but again, it happens to everybody. And if you're saying the only bad call you've had was against the Packers, then I think the refs are biased in your favor. Because it's happened to the Packers a lot. And it's happened to a lot of other teams a lot. I've watched it happen. Every time I watch a game, it's happening. And again, the fact that we keep hearing, oh, remember that one time? Like, dude, do you remember last week? Or the week before that? Or the week before that? Why are you lying and pretending you don't see these things? 
fact of the matter is, the Vikings lost, the Bears are now garbage again, and the Lions are still garbage. And the best argument you have about why the Packers don't deserve to be where they are is because the the refs have had a couple bad calls in their favor. And we're going to pretend that it's somewhat egregious. We're going to pretend they get less calls than anybody else and more calls in their favor than anybody else and pretend that our team doesn't have any calls going in our favor and just lie, 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 lie to create up this this completely indefensible lie that the Packers have this relationship with the Packers because, you know, Aaron Rodgers hugged a ref before a game, which, by the way, Lots of coaches and players know these guys, especially veterans. Tom Brady's doing the same thing, not because they're best friends, and maybe they are, because they've gone back a long way. These refs have been here for the same 15, 20 years that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers have. Yes, they know each other. By the way, a lot of Packers players shake hands with players on other teams. There's no collusion there. They just know each other, and they're shaking hands like, hey, what's up? So stop lying. Stop crying. Stop trying to make excuses. The, the, all three teams in the NFC North not named the Packers have potential. Lions not, less than most, but you got money and you got early draft picks and you can turn this thing around. The 49ers did it. But if you keep spending all your time looking backwards, you're not going anywhere. Why don't you spend some of your energy focusing on how to fix things? How next year you can be better than the Packers? Actually beat them. It's this defeatist victim mentality. Oh, we can't get ahead because the world's out to get us. You know how pathetic that is? We're not winning because the ref's trying, it's rigged, man. The, the system is rigged. You know, you're a loser. The system's not rigged. Nothing's rigged. What, because you face challenges? Because you have obstacles? That's not fair. Look where they spotted the ball. It, it didn't get past the yellow line, even though the yellow line's wrong. That's not fair. I don't know, call a better play. Do a better job in coverage. Sack the quarterback. It's in your control. If the entire argument for your team comes down to a half an inch, which, by the way, he at 100% had a first down. Maybe you just didn't do enough. In life and in football, making lame excuses and blaming society or the refs or whatever else, you're not going anywhere. I promise you, you go nowhere in life. Grow up. If you want something, go get it. If you want your team to get better, it's not going to be from looking backwards and saying, They cheated! I mean, I listen, if you want to say it as a joke, that's fine. I get it. I've played along with the joke, the Packers and the refs, and ha ha ha, it's funny. If you actually believe it, that's pathetic. The fact that you actually have to go to conspiracy theories to help you sleep at night to believe that your team isn't actually that bad and the Packers aren't that good because it hurts your feelings so much. It hurts your emotional state of mind so much to actually believe the Packers are a good team. We've got to come out with, they're frauds and, and they cheat. and. <laughs> That is so pathetic. How do you verbalize these things and not feel like less of a human being for actually saying these things out loud? It's so embarrassing. Again, I joke around and say about the Patriots, but it's a joke. It's a good football team. I mean, granted, they have cheated in the past, but it's not, you know, I promise you the Bengals could record anything and everything that they want. They're not winning Super Bowls. Of course it's a good team. Of course Belichick is a good coach. Of course Brady's a good quarterback. There's a difference between joking around and teasing and having like a fun little rivalry and actually believing that the NFL is rigged against your team and that's why they can't get get ahead. No, you're just supporting incompetence. Your team is bad because your GM is trash, because your coach is not good enough, because your quarterback is terrible. Stop blaming everything else. Have higher expectations for your team. Drives me nuts. And yes, I'm, I'm half talking about football and half talking about life in general because I'm just tired of hearing it. Nobody's out to get you. Man up. Get a life.
Everybody crying all day long. Twitter is just crying, crying, crying. Attacking and crying, attacking and crying. I mean, I'm serious. I seriously did delete that tweet. Because everybody just wants to pile on and start kicking the guy. It's like, look, I just wanted to give some information. This is getting stupid now. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for him to say stuff that is fake and lying and crying and being a whiny little baby about the Packers are cheaters and the Packer fans are bragging about it. But then Packer fans coming in and just kicking him in the face over and over again. It's like, this is, I'm out of here. This is weird and horrible. Kicking and crying, that's all Twitter is. I can't get ahead, and by the way, I hope you die. <laughs> if I could, if there was a tagline for Twitter, that would be it. Life's unfair, and I hope you die. Twitter. <laughs> and again, Google does exist. So feel free to find this information out yourself before you start whining and crying about how hard it is, and it's not fair. Google it. By the way, the argument that the Packers have a small market, and this is the favorite, uh, you know, especially Chicago Bears fans, because everything is wrapped up in the fact that they're a big city, and they think that just affords them some kind of credibility. I don't, I don't know what it is, but you know, they, they're just annoyed with how much in love with people tend to be with people from Wisconsin, with the state, with the Packers. I mean, you, you talk about Wisconsin and Green Bay and whatever else, and people are like, oh yeah, I love the Packers. They're really good. Da, 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 da. The media always likes them, and, and Bears fans hate it because they're like, dude, big city. You're supposed to love us. We're supposed to be the best. And so the, the argument of, oh, they're, they're this tiny little backwoods, redneck, blah, 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 and they can't support themselves. I hate to tell you this, Haas. The Packers brought in more money in 2019 than the Bears did. This small, tiny little market has no problem sustaining itself. Because how do you make money? Well, you sell jerseys and things, right? You can sell merchandise. Do you think the Packers have a problem with that? They have one of the largest fan bases around the world. You sell tickets, which the Packers sell out, and despite the size of the town, what we're talking about now is not selling out tickets in the town, we're talking about selling tickets in the stadium. They have one of the bigger stadiums in terms of size, and they sell it out, which means revenue. Also, there's television, and because they are good, and yes, this has to do with them being good, which could technically support your argument, but there's no reason to, because anybody could be good and then make that much money. But they get a lot of primetime television revenue, right? They, they draw audiences in. So if you wanted to make an argument, it wouldn't be that they're a small market. If you're trying to follow this conspiracy theory thing, it has nothing to do with a small market. What you would say is, because they have a massive fan base, and the NFL wants to capitalize off that, they want to prop up this massive fan base, but Bears fans can't get themselves to say that. Because that takes away everything that they believe. It's the last thing they have to hold on to is this big city they have. And as I've said a thousand times, they got this little man complex. Because nobody cares about Chicago. Nobody cares about their food. Nobody cares about the size of their city. Everybody talks about New York and L.A. Nobody talks about Chicago or cares about it. Nobody goes on vacation to Chicago. They go to New York. They go to L.A. They go to all kinds of big cities. They go to go to Dallas and Houston and Austin and all the big... There's 75 big giant cities in Texas. You might even go to Atlanta. Typically, people are not going to be like, ooh, I want to go on a vacation to Chicago. Because the only thing anybody ever knows about Chicago, and the only thing you guys get credit for, is the massive amount of shootings you have. I'm sorry, man, that's just the way it is. And you have a smaller fan base than the Green Bay Packers, and your team, despite having a massive market and a massive amount of money in your city, actually bring in less money than the Packers do. So you, you can argue this if you're willing to acknowledge that the Packers have a bigger market I'm talking about in terms of revenue from the fan base than the Bears do. But you're not going to do that, are you? Because that hurts your feels too much. I know. I get it. Anyways, there was uh, another question and another um, argumentative thing that happened on Twitter. But um, also, 
not only out of time, but I'm getting a little too riled up for my own good. So I will just leave it at that. If you'd like to do me one more favor for the day, please don't pollute Twitter with kicking and crying, please. Find something else to do. Go get excited about the Packers in a way that is not yelling at 49ers fans. Ignore them. You want to you want to make them mad? The easiest way to do that is to just brag about your team. It'll drive them insane and let them go off and be bad people. That'll be our goal for today. No crying and no kicking. If you want to do that a little bit in the Facebook group, that's fine. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.